best practices, again, are kind of continuously evolving, but you got to have that balance between executing and knowing how to execute. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good morning, everyone. This is David Wright, and I'm your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And I am lucky enough today to be joined by Nancy Post. Nancy, thanks for being on. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Good morning, David. Good morning. Hey, Nancy, to start out, could you tell our guests a little bit about your current role? Yeah, I am the vice president of our embedded software and solutions. So what that means at John Deere, working for the Intelligent Solutions Group. So I have all of controllers, which would be like a computer, all the computers that are on our equipment, including Precision Ag and, and our, we call them product families. So think like tractors, combines across the enterprise. In addition, we have the software, the sensors, the networks, all the infrastructure that it takes to run software, like development operations. We create our own operating system. All of that is in my group, as well as program management to run that. So just think everything embedded electronics that is in John Deere equipment, the majority of that is in my team. So a pretty exciting area for us, especially now with all the things we're doing with our innovation in the tech stack. Yeah, hundred percent. I'll be interested to get your thoughts on kind of like LoRaWAN and blockchain and that kind of thing when we get into a little bit more about your vision for John Deere. To start though, we like to ask, What's one piece of actionable advice you might give our listeners today? Yeah, I think that the main thing is that you probably got where you are today because of your intelligence, the things, um, you know, the topic that you dug into, the thing you studied in university or the thing you're passionate about that you're learning on your own. Don't underestimate the value of emotional intelligence and how that interaction with other people, the way that you're using your brain to approach innovation, things like that are equally as important. And I think what we're finding out, maybe once you have a basis of intelligence or knowledge, it might be even more important in how you can help solve problems for the world and where your career takes you. 
Yeah, I love that. I'm a big Brene Brown fan myself. So yeah, she's great. Pretty much all her books. So, and I think emotional intelligence now more than ever is such a crucial leadership. The pandemic impacted the lives of people like tremendously. It was traumatic in a sense for a lot of individuals. So, you know, really kind of keeping that in mind and really trying to show up for your colleagues and your team members, I think, like I said, is more important now than ever. Yeah. And having that empathy and knowing that different people reacted differently, even in the pandemic is a great example of it, but in everyday life, people react to situations, the way that they're going to come alive in that moment is different. And to understand that, accept it, and actually even leverage that is a great thing to learn how to do. And like you said, with the different resources, there's so many resources, great books on the topic. You could listen or read and learn from others on this for a long time. Love that. Great advice. So Nancy, let's talk a little bit about how you got to be running this group within in John Deere. I mean, where did you start out? How did you get to be the IT executive you are today? Well, I um, actually, when I first started back when I went to school, I'm the youngest of 15 kids. And so my parents were a different generation. They were really more the age of what would be my grandparents. They had no understanding of why I would even want to go to university. I was a real great student, loved math and science. And so in the end, I looked at it as kind of a practical thing. I went, okay, wait a minute, can I even pay for a university? And of course they couldn't advise me because they were definitely not helping with any finances. I like to say, and it's really true, they didn't give me 10 bucks when I left the house. They were super supportive and loving people, but they didn't have the means to help me. And so I had a scholarship to go to a tech school. So first I went to get my electronics engineering technology associate's degree. And then I started at Rockwell International working on satellite communications. And that was really exciting, super like competitive environment. Remember this is in the eighties. So this is when satellite communications weren't even reliably happening yet. We were developing the systems to communicate, to help planes fly more efficiently and save fuel. And so I was also lucky enough to work for someone who really didn't love what he was doing. So he kept giving me all of his work. So at a certain point, I took over his position. I was still a technician, but I took over his position. Didn't get a race, but man, did I learn a ton doing that. And while I was doing that, I was also getting my four-year degree in computer science. And so I got my computer science degree, worked there for seven years, really had a blast. The first satellite voice call that we ever made to test it was to my mother in the lab, you know, surrounded by my colleagues. So just really a lot of fun doing that taught me a lot. Went to another company called Compressor Controls. Wasn't my favorite gig. And then went to John Deere. And then I felt like, wow, okay, this takes the best of what I had at Rockwell with innovation and things like that. But it felt more like I was at home. I love the culture of Deere, love the environment and really have had great, great opportunities. At Deere, I started in engine controls and did engine controls there. Then I went to the tractor division and really had some great experiences. I like to think that everything I've done, and it was funny, I was talking with one of our presidents the other day, I'm like, it's it's like everything that I've done at Deere has prepared me so well to be in this position now. The conversations I'm in, the presentations I hear, I've done so many of those things because I've worked for 35 years. So that gives you time to have a lot, a lot of different experiences, work in a lot of areas. And so I've worked in electronics for the majority of that time. 
but I've had experiences like I had an expat assignment for 18 months, you know, and that's just invaluable to teach you about the global environment, to help you understand your colleagues in other areas, especially in the area that you go to. I went to, to Germany, but then to also understand, you know, when you're traveling intensively to India, China, places like that, that you don't know what you think, you know, because you, right. because you've experienced that very squarely when you're in an environment, like moving to another country. And so I've also had a few gigs with the global quality manager for large tractors. And it was when we came in with the emissions program. So you can imagine it was not the most fun time to be the quality manager. To me, the company gave me that position to put me, get me out of my environment, get me out of this space I was so comfortable in in electronics and put me into a kind of a high pressure and see if I could make change. And it was super exciting. The team came together and we improved quality dramatically during that time. And it we really came to the best level of quality we've ever been in, in large tractors. So that was really exciting. And I've been fortunate throughout my career to be the first a few times in Deer being a female in a certain position, you know, so I was the first female to be an engineering director for a product family for hand forage. So that was a few years Back, I became that to went into that position. And again, that taught me a lot about leadership and just got me out of my comfort zone. It was a position where I traveled more than ever. So you really, I got to know the customers better than I ever had. And I got to know different cultures better than I ever had. And then in the last few years, I came back into the electronic space, taking over first the precision ag electronics. And then become having the position I have now, which is the majority of the embedded electronics for John Deere. So it's hard to describe. I always joke about this, you know, 35 years to do that in a few minutes. It's hard, but those are some of my highlights. Uh, It's been really an amazing learning journey for me to learn about people, to learn about leadership, to continue to learn about technology. I love engineering. I really enjoy knowing how things work. I love to help solve a problem. One thing about your journey as a leader, you have to realize you have to step out of that a bit and trust your people to do that. And so some of those gigs, I think, really helped me evolve in that way. The quality one in particular, I remember when I took that position, I was like, are you sure you guys want me to do this? I mean, people who work for me are going to know more than I know. And they're like, exactly. You're going to learn fast, though, and you need to know how to lead without being too involved. Right. Well, and that's that's the great step for every great leader I feel like is like making that jump or so I'm told from other you know business leaders like yourself is stepping into that place where now you're leveraging your 30 years of invaluable experience like just things that you don't even know you learned along the way that now you're able to instill in these people that yes they're fresh out of learning about some of the most bleeding edge technologies but they don't have those lessons and those that experience that you could have only garnered having gone through the experience itself. And I feel like a lot of people try to hold on to that control. And so I'm told it, it can lead to just an unfulfilling kind of life. You just seem very fulfilled. It's really lovely. And I love what you said about kind of when you were getting to travel and kind of, for me, like, like there's so much that I don't know, you know what I mean? And that level of humility allows me to continue to kind of be a student of the world. And it's for me, when I travel somewhere foreign, like culturally and on so many different levels, I'm just like, wow, 
And then to take it at a more macro level, like the universe, even, you know, I'm just trying to do the next right thing. Right. Yeah. You're trying to soak it all in. I had like a epiphany about travel at some point because I had smaller children and I didn't travel a ton when they were really little, but even when they got older, I was like, Oh, do I want to be away from them? And, and I really finally said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I don't want to leave them going, Oh, mom doesn't want to leave. No, I want to leave them going this, what I'm going to go do really cool, really important, impactful. And when I get back, like, what do you want to know? Do you want me to ask any questions or what do you want to know about this area that I can come back and tell you about when I get back? Or we found ways to connect, you know, we used to use WhatsApp to call each other and I would show them play some of the things I was doing so that it could be part of their experience as well as mine so that they would know, okay, what I'm doing is really important. And like, it's impactful or I would never leave you for it. But then it's also let's learn together and stay connected while I'm gone. It really made, it was like a big shift for me to kind of share that also with my children so that we could kind of almost be together when we weren't together. I love that. I love that. I mean, we do WhatsApp calls, but as my daughters get older, I love that concept of kind of bringing them into the learnings and the you know, whatever it might be. I do a lot of domestic travel. So Indiana or Utah or Ohio might not be as exciting as Germany, but I'm sure there's still a lot of fun things to to talk about and bring them into. So Nancy, tell me a little bit about one of the most important lessons that you've learned over the course of that, you know, tremendous career and what was life like before learning it and after learning it? Yeah, I would say that one of the most important lessons is really that how much culture matters. We can all do a lot of work and together and we can come together and create really cool things. And a hackathon would maybe be an example. You know, you can do a hackathon and come up with an idea. And I think most people are familiar with hackathons, but I always get caught on these when I do these, like, wait, you said something that people wouldn't know, but you know, you get together and technical people jam on an idea and then they try and quickly write some code within a week and create something. It might be code, might not be code. Lots of times it's code in my environment that creates a solution. And it can be pretty amazing what can come out of that from an innovation. It having the right culture to know that you can do something and it might be a flop or you can do something and it might be our next big thing that changes lives for our customers and helps create more food for the world. Those are having that right culture and teaching people the little tidbits. The way that I like to approach culture is you have your key tenets. And in our group, we created them a while back because we were a little, we felt like we were off track and we decided we create key tenets for culture. And then we create these little modules and a module might take three minutes for a person like One example is that we have people listen to the, there's a video that's above and below the line. So it's about becoming a curious learner rather than taking on a defensive stance. And it's one of those things that if you listen to this three minute video once per month, let's say, it can make this big brain shift that doesn't just help you at work, right? It's not even just about work. It's about helping you in your life to approach things in a different way. And I really feel like learning that and knowing the difference that it can make and sticking with it because you can get really busy, but it's so easy to come back to and just sticking with it and keeping that in people's minds and letting them know you can take time for this. You can improve your interfaces with each other, which will then create collaboration that creates new innovation. To me, that's one really important thing. The other big thing for me is having a future vision. 
Because if you know what success looks like, let's say five years out, then that plants a seed in your brain. And I don't think any of us understand the power of what happens when we don't know what's happening in our brain, when we're sleeping or when we're doing other things and we're having fun, your brain is working. And if you plant a seed for a future vision, even if it's five years out, it's going to create solutions. But if you don't plant that seed, what does it have to use to create that solution in the back? And that might sound odd, but I firmly, firmly believe that's true. I get that. I mean, as an entrepreneur, right, it resonates with me in particular because I have that same kind of, my wife always calls me like the dreamer, you know, like I have that kind of, she's very pragmatic. So we kind of balance each other out well. And I'm pragmatic too, but yeah, like everything from the vision board, all of it. And I loved what you said about what I heard was kind of bringing this level of mindfulness or like a daily practice into your culture, which is really cool because for me, it's exactly that. It's a daily practice, right? Maintaining that perspective, I have to take certain actions because it's not like, you know, I do these certain dyads or watch this video and enlightened, right? It's like, right. I'm going to get bit, I'm going to get busy again. Life's going to happen. Projects are going to get stressful. And what kind of tools am I offering my team in order to try to maintain that level of perspective? That's such a great thing. I don't even know if I do that enough as a leader. So that's great insight. Yeah, I think I told you earlier that I'm into brain science. And one of the things that happens in your brain is you absorb something and you absorb it differently if you read it, write it, say it. And when you say it, it really does create a different connection. But all of those things, when you sleep at night, create connections. But in order for that connection to get stronger and stronger, it has to happen over many, I call it many sleeps. And so it's that repetitiveness and coming back to it and allowing yourself the grace to say, it's okay if I haven't thought about this for two weeks, but now I'm back, I'm thinking about it again. It's still going to create a stronger connection in your brain. And over time, it will make a difference. Very cool. So Nancy, tell me about a time that you made a mistake that you learned a lot from. Is there any times that stick out in your mind that you might be able to share with our listeners? You know, I think one of the things that I've always sort of, let's call it a regret. I regret that I went to tech school and then I got my computer science degree from a place that it's a really good computer science, but it's not an engineering college. I got it from Mount Mercy. And then I went back to school when my kids were little. So I did online MBA, which today is really, really popular. Back then it wasn't. I learned a ton right. from doing all of that. But if I were going to do it over, I would love to have said I had my engineering degree from a certain university and my MBA or my, you know, I would have done that differently because it made me, I would say, less confident early in my career. Like, did I deserve to have even some of the positions that I had at first, because like when I came on to Deer, they didn't hire people usually for the job I had with a computer science degree, especially not a computer science degree, not from engineering. They literally called like four extra people to make sure I could do the job. I gave them two references. They called an extra four because they just weren't too sure. And then they got the right information. They're like, all right, she's good enough. You know, she can come on. But you know, that always felt like something like, man, I wish I could have done that differently. On the flip side, I think it made me scrappier. So it made me feel like, all right, 
I'm going to show you that I can learn. I can do things the same way as if I would have had my engineering degree because I've learned a ton working, right? And it probably made me try a little harder. I don't know. So I'm not trying to say it was horrible all in all, but certainly I always wished I'd done that differently. No, I love that. That scrappiness is huge, especially as a woman coming up in a predominantly male yeah, especially in the 80s and 90s, like, I mean, to rise to where you are today is just, I love it. I love seeing women in technology. I think my mom is a CEO of company and I just like love women rock stars, especially in technology. So thank you. Yeah, of course. So before we get into your vision for John Deere, how about, and this is how I built my, my book list, favorite book or literary piece either that you're reading now or I've read recently or all time? Okay, this is going to sound funny, but most impact. I'm going to go with the book I've read that has had the most impact on me is David Rock's Quiet Leadership. So it's not a literary piece. It's a brain science piece. I love listening to books, reading books, but it's hard for me to pick a favorite because it depends on my mood. And so I go with this one probably because it's about how we can mold our own brains. And I, for years thought we're hardwired, find a way to work around the things you're hardwired on. And I can remember I was in China listening for the second time. And I heard this piece in this book where it said, you know, you can create a pathway and you can make a pathway wider and you can unintentionally make a pathway. You don't want wider, wider, and it'll become even more of the way you act. And I thought, oh my gosh, I might be ruining my husband <laughs> when I say, you know, you don't like what they're doing. I'm like, why do you always do that? And I'm like, oh, I'm making it more prevalent. I'm literally making that. It's probably more likely that he'll keep doing that rather than saying, hey, the next time we're in this situation, if you could do this instead, I'd feel so much better about it. That gives him a chance to form a new brain pathway, you know? And so the concepts, the science in that book they're life-changing. And so maybe it doesn't have that same philosophical that you wanted me to take, but it really has been one of the most impactful books I've ever read. I love that. It's a very open-ended question and everyone, I've never heard of that. I'm really excited to seek it out, especially relevant for me right now, because with a young daughter and another daughter on the way, everything that we say molds and shapes her mind. It's like, it's crazy to see. So we're, and my wife is a speech language pathologist. So she's often like, do we really want to say that? Or do we want to say it a certain way? And like, but she's mindful. I'm excited to seek that out. Thank you for that. Yeah, I could have replaced husband with child. I've said both before because, you know, you're thinking about how you ask for what you want instead of saying what you don't want is kind of the key. Yeah. So. Right. And I think that's relevant to other situations, even too, with team members or whoever. So very insightful. So now let's talk about John Deere. So what's your vision for the organization? What do you guys, I mean, we mentioned kind of your vision and mission. How are you guiding your team along those lines? Yeah. So John Deere has an amazing mission, I think, in with respect to the entire world, right? So we know that population is growing and by 2050, it could reach close to 10 billion people. And the amount of tillable land is relatively stable. And so in order to be able to keep up with that growing population, we have to make more food with what we have today. And so you can't do that without increasing efficiency. 
So the super exciting thing that we're doing is we're automating jobs and we're moving towards autonomy in machines so that we can do things that weren't possible. You know, we used to say when we automated certain things that we wanted to do it as well as the best operator. I mean, let's say 20 years ago with, with auto track, we went into auto track, which is steering the vehicle without right. someone hanging onto the steering wheel. So doing that electronically, electromechanically. And we used to say, well, we could do that as well as the best operator, a little better. So you were reducing overlaps. So, you know, of course you're saving seeds, you're saving inputs, you're saving fuel, you're saving time. So you're making it more efficient, you know, jump forward to where we are today. And because of the technology that we have, the sensors that we have, the artificial intelligence that we have, the cameras, which are sensors and how we can have a closed loop system that uses that information to make decisions instantaneously and then create an automated job that's better than any human could do. We call it like, it's like a superhuman would have to do this because we can have sensors in places that no human eye can be in the equipment. We're able right. to reduce the inputs, create greater efficiency, create greater profitability for our customers and maximize output. So we're able to feed that population and maybe what could be one of the most compelling pieces of it we're making a more sustainable earth. We're reducing passes. Some of the technology we have are reducing herbicides and pesticides by 80%, let's say. That's what we're looking at with our new technology that we're calling Sea and Spray. I mean, we're literally able to go in and look at the difference between a crop and a weed and only spray the weed. And that is an incredible reduction. I could go into so many different stories. You can tell I have a lot of passion about this, but it's an amazing mission. And then my group, a lot of the foundation for that. So the precision technology, our satellite GPS, I mean, that positioning is accuracy to sub-inch. That's in my team. Like I said earlier, the controllers writing that software that does this closed loop control, tons of that work is in my team. So I have a lot of excitement and pride in what they do day in and day out to be part of this big mission. So cool. I would have never realized how much John Deere is doing to promote sustainable development goals. You know what I mean? Like you guys are hitting on so many different SDGs and it's amazing to hear, I mean, a company that's really living that, like really promoting that. It's fantastic. It's a really cool thing that it's not an or. Like we aren't sacrificing something to get to sustainability. It's while we're reducing these inputs, it's automatically contributing to sustainability. It's such an and benefit, right? You know, yeah. it, that's what makes it really, really exciting and improves the lives of a lot of people, including, of course, our customers. Right. You're improving the lives of your customers. You're improving the planet, improving profitability of the organization. Like it's just a win, win, win. Yeah. Yeah, Very it's pre cool. pretty fun to have something that's that exciting and, I don't know, honorable. I mean, John Deere is known for integrity, for sure. You know, we get like the highest scores in any industry for being like super, like caring about integrity. But like, this is like, it's that honorable piece in an old company that has always held on to that. It's fun to be part of that. Yeah, super. One of our core values and philosophies, integrity. One of the most important for me, at least. So that all sounds great. Granted, there's a lot I've heard from other business leaders, there are challenges to overcome right now. What are some of the biggest challenges that you guys are facing as an organization? 
for the embedded organization in particular, but this is true in many areas of the company, it's acquiring talent, keeping talent happy, understanding the changing of different generations. You know, what made me happy when I was younger? It's not the same today. I mean, I remember, I literally remember the first time that a manager said, thank you, looked at me and said, thank you for what you did. I didn't say anything because it was so unusual. And he looked at me, you know, he goes, well, you could respond. I'm like, well, well, thanks for the compliment. I mean, I'm like, I was so caught off guard by it. that, And now, you know, recognition is we really need to figure out how to recognize people for the wonderful work that they're doing, but it's not the same. Some people like to be recognized in a big event and some people just like you to come up to them and shake their hand and express that gratitude. And some people like the extra bonus, you know, the the money, but it's different everywhere. And to understand that at scale, it means that we need to work with really anyone who has a direct report. And it kind of goes back to that culture thing I was talking about earlier. Like I want everyone who has a direct report to understand how important this is, how important under knowing your employees are, you know, and you have to attract them and you're teaching them a lot. You need to retain them and you need to keep them empowered and keep the culture alive. It's not easy, right? I no, mean, it's tricky. Whole, and so to me, that's one of the biggest challenges. Of course, getting out in front of the technology far enough so that we can leverage it early. I think we do really well at that, but it's a challenge because things are constantly evolving. And even some of the acquisitions that we've made at Deer have really helped us to accelerate in some of those areas. So really like finding who do we need to partner with that has had time to get further along than maybe we have in some of our core businesses has been a fun evolution for Deer too. And how about best practices? What are some of the best practices you and your team follow? Best practices, again, are kind of continuously evolving, but you got to have that balance between executing and knowing how to execute. So when I think of best practices, and my mind does go a little bit, of course, it's the culture piece we've been talking about. But if you think right. about how do you execute day in and day out and evaluate enough? So no one loves to have a scorecard on how well am I executing And it's multifaceted, but what we do internal to the group is we created this kind of matrix of what creates efficiency and then how do we monitor that enough so that we're helping where it's not as efficient as it needs to be. And so we really look at, we try to have the conversation with the employees saying, what could we do to help you? It's not, we're keeping score so that we can say, why aren't you doing better? It's more about how do we enable? It's about the enablement, the enablement to help your day in, day out, not be a hassle. No one wants a tool that takes 20 minutes longer than it needs to, right? You want things that are efficient and fast. And if we can find solutions like that, and embedded, we have about 2000 people. So if you can find something that enables 1200 of them every day, if you give them four minutes more multiplier, it's a big deal, right? And so we are (laughs) constantly looking at What do we do to enable better development operations? So what do we do to enable people? Because honestly, when you take on projects like that, like we just took on a project to introduce a new 32-bit operating system for John Deere. And when we did that, that doesn't just make everyone more efficient. It did make everyone more efficient. They are like 
shouting from the rooftops about how much more enjoyable their days are because no one wants to be hung up by tools and processes. And so I think of those best practices as making such a difference for what we can output day in, day out for our customers. Because let's face it, in the end, if we're ever wondering why we're doing it, it's to get more value year over year to our customers. Yeah. And this is the area where we create best practices. We can do that. And then it also makes our um, employees even more proud of what they're doing. And it makes their lives more enjoyable day in, day out. I love that. We were talking about DevOps too. I, you read the Phoenix Project? You know, I, that has been recommended to me and I haven't gotten into it yet. This is a great read for your team too. Like if they want to, if you guys are up doing that, I love this book. We don't even really do DevOps and I just love the book from an efficiency standpoint, agile framework standpoint and all that. But I um, write that one down. And someone else just mentioned it to, to me recently. So now it's like more than one person is saying it. So we're coming up on time here, Nancy. But before we wrap up, first, I wanted to ask any thoughts on where you see the tractor agricultural industry going and, or what do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes? I think we kind of touched on some of it before, but anything you'd add to that? Maybe a few, a couple of different things. I think we're going to want to make sure everything can be connected. You know, so we want, right now we have some gaps in, in our connectivity in certain regions, rural areas, et cetera. And to best serve our farmers and ranchers, we want to be fully connected. So I see that happening. I think we're going to find a way with our partners in the industry to make that happen. And the amount of data that we're collecting is going yeah. to continue to increase because that's what serves our customers. Our John Deere Operations Center and the insights that that can add for our customers will just continue to grow. And the value of seeing a picture of their operation where they can make things more efficient is just going to continue to evolve. And we'll use artificial intelligence, new sensing technologies. We'll go from automating jobs or I should say machine functions to automation, fully automated vehicles will continue on that journey to add value for our customers. And of course, to get back to that, you know, feeding the world. I love that. All right. So as we wrap up here, we like to ask if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? I think maybe the number one thing would be to know what you're asking for. And I think there's two ways to look at that. One is my younger self, I probably complained when I wanted to ask for something. And so when you're in a mode where something's making you upset or you're thinking the situation isn't great, is there a request in there that you really, if, could it be that simple that you could go ask for something? And then the other aspect of that is when you are asking for something, like sometimes people say, oh, I want this big job over here. Make sure that that fits into your value system at this time in your life, right? So really understand, do you want to ask for something? And then when you do, do you really want what you're asking for? And do you understand, does it align with your values? So to know that or to have that kind of perspective and wisdom when I was younger, it could have saved me quite a bit of angst and probably helped a lot of people around me <laughs> at times too. So I think that'd be the most important thing. 
Great insight. Thank you so much, Nancy. And thank you so much for being on today. It was such a pleasure having you. It's been really fun. Thank you too. Appreciate it, David. Yeah, everyone, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.